Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay. But not just any bay. It's a Baywatch, because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School, a podcast where dose men who have never watched Baywatch before (laughs) try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Spooky Morgan. Darn it, I should have been Spooky Michael Eisen. (laughs) I'm the ghost of Michael Eisen. Boo, spooky. (laughs) Uh, And this is a very spooky episode, not because it's Halloween, not because it's close to Halloween. It's because this is season one, episode seven, Eclipse. Uh, And it is too spooky. Uh, Yeah. I, not knowing when episodes ever air... Uh, both in terms of Baywatch and in terms of this podcast, because we record very far ahead, uh, totally assumed that this episode of Baywatch aired on Halloween. Nope, it is mid-February. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> look, they, they're they very much fans of the mid, you know, or the six months later kind of Halloween-esque thing, you know, like how people do like <laughs> summerween, you know, um, mm-hmm. as in Gravity Falls is summerween. But this is like a winterween Um and I hate I hate that I've just made that. Um, <laughs> but uh, this episode was written by Claire Whitaker, who has not written any episodes for this show previously. Directed by Paul Schneider, who directs like every other episode for the last few episodes. It was originally aired February 23rd, 1990. So a few notes about people from this episode. First, we have Lance Wilson White. And he plays Kirby in this episode. He was also on a show called Major Dad, which is about a conservative <laughs> Marine who proposes to a liberal reporter doing a story about him and agrees to raise her three teenage daughters. Um, which, wow, that is the perfect show. Uh, how have I not seen this before? Uh, I don't know if perfect is the word I would use, but I do also want to watch. Perfect is the word I would use. Uh, because, you know, the <laughs> other show I would use to describe as perfect is The Wire. And this seems exactly like The Wire. Um, True. Yeah, it's a real it's a real examination of what happens when two different worlds cross, just like The yeah, Wire. Yeah, or like Hannah Montana. Anyways, <laughs> R.J. Williams, who played Jeremy last episode, is back again. But this time, he's not called Jeremy in the official cast list. Instead, he's just referred to as football tackler um however he does not tackle anyone in this episode so that worries me now lastly we have the most famous person of this episode who has a very small part and that is uh the character is dr white she is the baywatch uh, on-site psychologist uh she is played by Mm. joyce brothers So if you don't know who Joyce Brothers is, she first became famous in uh, 1955. She won the $64,000 question game show. And she used that money to then uh, host psychology programs on TV. And she's uh, wildly, widely credited as the first person to normalize psychological concepts to the American mainstream on television. So she was the first, like, TV psychologist. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so huge, huge uh, in terms of uh, just how psychology is portrayed in media. But that's really interesting to me because, quite frankly, I think she 
did a pretty bad job of being a therapist in this Agreed. episode, as we'll get into Agreed. later. <laughs> uh, it's funny because she's also credited as being not a bad psychologist. Um, you know, there there's your TV psychologists who are bad, like Dr. Phil, right? Uh, sure. N- widely recognized as being much better than Dr. Phil as a person and as a psychologist. But she would then later take roles as herself and other fictional doctors in television. So you name the show she was on it. So Happy Days, Taxi, Entourage, The Simpsons, Married with Children, Ally McBeal, Frasier, even Pinky in the Brain. She was on all of these shows as herself or Holy some other shit. doctor. Uh, she was also in movies like the 1998 classic. Absolutely everyone has seen this movie. And if you have not... You are clearly lying to me. Elvis is alive. I swear I saw him eating ding-dongs outside the Piggly Wigglies. Um, <laughs> you know, I it tears me up so much that I had to, I fumbled the name, just feeling all the emotions come back to me. And now, of course, everyone remembers how this movie has credited characters of Psychedelic Elvis, Heroin Elvis, Disco Elvis, and Elvis's <laughs> skydiving instructor. Um it's a documentary about people who claim that Elvis is still alive. Um, now, her last credit before her death was National Lampoon's Dorm Days 2 College at Sea. Um, now, unfortunately, uh, in my teenage years, I did see this movie. Uh, it is wow. very bad because I was going on a kick of like, let's watch every National Lampoon movie. Uh, and that was a mistake. Um, that was just like, a, <laughs> like the basic plot is there's these guys who are a college at sea, but all of them just really want to bone each other. And there's this faction on the boat of people who are like anti-sex. So they're like teaching people about abstinence education and they're like, hell no, abstinence education. That means I won't get laid. Uh, and eventually they convince <laughs> all of them that abstinence is a lie and also will help them get good grades. Uh, as I said, it's very bad. Yeah, I believe it. Um, yeah, I know, know what else is bad, Morgan? What, Michael? Some of this episode. And why don't you take us in? Yeah, I. this is a weird episode and we'll get into it later, but I... Truly cannot decide if I love this episode or hate this Same. episode. Um, <laughs> we open on a very ominous shot of a woman in a white dress climbing some rocks out of the ocean. Um, and then we go to Eddie. He shows up to his tower and there's a new guy, Kirby, working at his tower. Kirby is very mm-hmm. intense. Uh and also keeps calling Eddie Edgar for reasons that are never explained and don't I assume sense. it's his actual name, but... You know, <laughs> I feel kind of dumb that that is just now... <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> he didn't realize that's why he's doing it? Nope. Okay, so that took this episode from a <laughs> 2 to a 10. Kirby also says that he saw the woman uh, that we saw in the opening running along the beach and Eddie doesn't believe him. But Kirby is like, I'm going to go off on a patrol to go see if I can find her. And Eddie is like, please, God, do that, please. (laughs) Importantly, Eddie says, you sure it wasn't the old lady who escaped from the asylum we're supposed to look out for? Which hint, hint, keep that in mind. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I forgot about that. I should have known. I should have <laughs> known from that point that I was like, that's that's too specific of a detail for Baywatch to throw out. Yeah. Uh, like, they don't throw out just random specific details for no reason like that. Yeah. Or they do, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, they what totally the do. do. <laughs> what do I know? Um, and our next scene, we see Hobie playing some football, and there's Jeremy. Sorry, I mean football tackler. <laughs> and he doesn't tackle anybody. He just throws a football too far. Yep. And I felt like that was really important to butt in and tell you mm-hmm. about. No, it's, it's, a, it's a very important scene where Hobie and a bunch of other small children throw a football around, and then a girl is sitting in the grass with a dog and the football gets thrown near her and Hobie goes to retrieve the football. And he's like, hey, Katie, what's the problem? And Katie says, I wish I could just walk away and disappear. And Hobie is like, so she says, sometimes I wish I could just walk away and disappear and never come back. Yeah. And his response is, come on, Katie. And she goes, what would you know about it? Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, what? My favorite part is <laughs> is that after that line, she, in fact, walks away and disappears. You know, she comes back, but she does yeah. for a small amount of time disappear. This is like this just went from like uh like it went so dark and it just keeps getting dark for no reason at all. And I was like, who what tone are you trying to go for? Yeah. Here? Just football to suicide, I think. Yeah. Like it's it's so badly yeah. written. I was very worried during the scene that we were going to have a much darker episode than it ends up being. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. And thank God we didn't. Next scene is Craig, Mitch, and Court uh, are talking about some vintage diving gear that Court bought. Snooze. Craig and Mitch are giving Court a hard time. And then Eddie calls in and he's like, hey, Kirby still hasn't come back. And then Court. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much like (laughs) (laughs) cool. There's a lot of like not cool, but there's a lot of scenes in this episode where you're like, yep, that is a scene that just happened. And now we move on to the next one. Um, Yep. (laughs) uh, Speaking of the next scene is that Court and Eddie go out to look for Kirby and they find his can uh, and then they both go into the water and try to rescue him. But it turns out he's dead. Yeah, I mean, he was just face down in the water, yeah, not moving. And I, I could have told you that. It doesn't take a lifeguard to tell you that that dude who's been face down in the water probably for an hour uh, is dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mitch talks to the head office of lifeguards. It's unclear who, <laughs> um, and tells Eddie that there's going to be a formal investigation. I like to think that the head of lifeguards is some sort of like position bestowed upon the president of the United States. <laughs> like, you know, he is the like the um, oh, why am I forgetting the word? Uh, is it uh, is it ch- not chief of staff? Is it chief of staff? I mean, the chief of uh, staff is a role in the White House. No, no. I what is he? Because C- commander he's the head of the. Commander in chief. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I like to think he's also, you know, like um, the commander in surf. That that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> I was going to go for red danger um, just because, you know, communism. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be a little bit of a good way to 
to truly expose America to everything it fears. Um, so the color red, which, as we've mentioned before, is the life-saving color mm-hmm. at the Baywatch team. Okay, so here's here's our first <laughs> rant of the episode. Morgan, how much do you know about the Green Lantern? Uh, I mean, I've read the book a number of times and I've seen the movie. How much do you know about the other colors of the Green Lantern? Uh, wait, sorry, before we get further into this, I did realize that I meant the Green Mile, not the Green Lantern. Um, which is a very <laughs> I was be like, thing. which book? <laughs> like, which book? Um, I, oh, yeah, just that one Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. My my Green Lantern knowledge is half remembering the Seth Rogen movie that came out like 10 years ago. Wow. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about it then. Mm-hmm. In the Green Lantern, the Green Lantern is, of course, he's a superhero, right? And he can make things come out of his ring and like constructs and stuff. But the idea is that um, every every color is like a different um, uh, emotion on the emotional spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so green is the power of will. Uh, so using will power, they create constructs um, that help them uh, fight crime, mm-hmm. right? Whatever. Right. And they use the green light as the power source for the green lantern corp. Now there are other colors of the emotional spectrum, um, each one having their own green, or not Green Lantern Corps, but their own Lantern Corps, uh, their own members. Uh, so you have green, obviously. You have blue, which is hope. And blue is, like, the second strongest one uh, because, like, hope is just a really... I mean, all these things are general, but hope is super general as a construct. Uh, and hope can, like, out... It can overpower will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hope is stronger than will you have red which is rage hmm. uh and just everybody in there is just super fucking angry uh you have yellow which is fear fear is the opposite of willpower so yellow is strong against green uh, and that's the sinestro core you have indigo which is compassion um uh, you have violet which is love and that's just all women like <laughs> uh they're just like you know what fuck it all women um uh, you also have my favorite, Orange, which is Avarice. Um, huh. And there's just one person in the Orange Lantern Corps because he's too greedy to share. Uh, and so whoever wow. holds the lantern, which he is always holding, uh, can create constructs of non-real people uh, that he then uses, uh, which is fucking awesome there's also white which is life and black which is death and then there's the invisible spectrum which is stupid and should never exist um invisible spectrum just feels like that one kid on the playground who like you're all playing you know green lantern core or whatever and he runs in yeah. like well my dad works for marvel and he says that there's a new more powerful kind of invisible light okay well the first problem with that is green lantern is dc not marvel shows you how much of a nerd um, i am <laughs> which is why i wanted to get all of this correct um <laughs> You know, because I I have to I have to carry this boat for both of us Mm -hmm. here. Um, But 100 percent there is like when I was in kindergarten, uh, we were all like play fight Dragon Ball Z or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was the one kid who was like, I'm not allowed to watch this show, so (laughs) I'm going to make up my own shit. And we were like, "Okay," but he like came up with some cool shit. And we were like, oh, damn, like 
maybe we should incorporate that stuff. And he was like, no, only I get to do it. And so we kicked him out. <laughs> so he just was like alone during recess, which, wow, this show is bringing back a lot of memories uh, that don't at all relate to Baywatch. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you know, it does relate to Baywatch. This episode of Baywatch. So tell us more about Baywatch. Let's go. Sure. With that great segue, um, I'm going to get back into the episode. Um, uh, yeah. So Mitch is Mitch is talking about how there's going to be a formal investigation into Kirby's death. And Eddie keeps saying how he blames himself for Kirby's death. And Mitch is like, I don't think this was an accident. And then Cord is like, you know, Back in the days of yore, there was another lifeguard who drowned after seeing a woman in a nightgown. Um, and at this point, I thought this episode was dumb um, because they are clearly trying to set it up like she's some sort of siren or. Um, Why is that dumb? Because this show has not even remotely hinted at anything supernatural before. Like for it to just mm. suddenly be like. And now there's mythical creatures. It has, if you vary what your definition of supernatural is, <laughs> like there is a lot of just like mystery bullets that just don't go the way they're supposed to. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's just mystery title shifts that go random ways. You know, there, there's there's some stuff, I think, here. Yeah. Um, but no, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it, not like this. No. Yeah. But I thought it'd be pretty cool. I will say the closest we've gotten to Supernatural in this entire show so far is Mitch's abs. Um, I was just going to say that. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah, I feel like potentially this show could pull off a Supernatural plot line. Mm-hmm. I agree. But I, uh, I don't know. I'm not holding out hope. <laughs> what if instead a Kelpie came out of the water, you know, like it, yeah. it's the pet of a horse and it just lures them in and then just murders them with its teeth. What if that happened? And it was just like a two minute episode. Like it was a short, yeah. you know, like Eddie, Eddie goes up to the water and he's like, Oh, Hey, look a horse. And then it just fucking chews his head off. And then we're done with Eddie forever. That feels like a, uh, like a robot chicken sketch. It does, but I don't think <laughs> robot chicken watched any of Baywatch. So they probably wouldn't do that. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of slightly dated references, uh, oh boy. next up is a scene where Hobie goes to Katie's house to return her new kids on the block record. See, that was a good segue. <laughs> I fucking pulled that off. Don't you <laughs> you did. I'm, <laughs> I and your family are proud of you. <laughs> he says he's doing it because he can't imagine why else she would be mad at him. And she's like, I'm not mad at you. We're just having to give away our dog. Um, and Hobie doesn't give a shit about this dog. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> he gives one second of thought before saying, that's tough. Want to go for a walk or something? Yeah. <laughs> and then he's just like, hang in there. <laughs> yeah. It, his lines after that are completely flat. He says like two vaguely comforting things and then just like skips off. And I was like, yep. wow, kid. All right. Like. You know what else is bad in this scene is one of my favorite lines, which is 
the landlord told us we evict Rocky or he evicts us. I know. And I was like, you really wanted to write an action episode. And instead you got the dying, not the dying dog, the I'm going to put a dog to sleep episode. Yeah. Uh, and I feel really bad for you, Claire Whitaker. Yeah. On the other hand, God, like even in an action episode, that would have been a bad line. Yeah. Like, like, listen, I am absolutely in favor of an anti landlord episode, but this, mm-hmm. This is not that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, next up, we've got Eddie closing up the tower and he sees the woman in white and runs out to meet her. But she runs away. And then. And. And then what happens? Then. What, what else? Oh, in what that else? scene? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. He hears a foghorn. Oh, right. That's important. That's very important. He hears a foghorn yeah. as she disappears. Remember that, everyone. See, I actually, even during this ep- during watching this episode, did not remember that. And so I was very confused when they kept talking about the fact that Eddie had heard a foghorn during this. Because I was like, I didn't hear a foghorn. What are they talking about? Um, well, maybe, <laughs> just maybe, it will all resolve itself in a very happy ending. Just maybe. Could be. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, yeah. Next up, we've got Thorpe, Eddie, and Mitch uh, are in one of the lifeguard headquarters offices and are talking about Kirby's death. And it's it's shot very like film noir, in my opinion, where like you've got shadow. It's like half in darkness and you've got shadows like bisecting people's faces at these like very harsh angles And it was actually Mm -hmm. a really interesting, like, scene composition, in my opinion. The scene itself was pretty boring, but the scene composition was interesting. I I like the content of the scene, by which I mean I hate the content of the scene. (laughs) Uh, Because the scene is basically Eddie, I mean, Thorpe says something along the lines of, like, yep, the dude drowned. We figured it out. He drowned. And I was like, oh, you couldn't tell he was face down in the water. Mm -hmm. Um and then Eddie was like, yeah, I mean, Kirby was just trigger happy on saving people. OK. Yeah. Uh, and then Eddie tells him he saw the same woman. And Mitch says, you know, the light, it's tricky at sunset. <laughs> Thanks, Mitch. Uh, but then he rightly says, if she was there, there were other lifeguards who would have seen her. On the other hand, uh, where were those other lifeguards? Because yeah. we don't ever meet them. Um so Thorpe is like, I don't believe any of this croc shit. Uh, I'm gonna defer, I'm gonna give you an appointment with the department psychologist, Doctor White, and Eddie responds, "No way, man! I think you need to see a shrink, man." Um, and Eddie just shut up, Eddie. Yeah. Just go away. That's, how, that's what I wanted to yell at him this entire episode. Was just like, shut up, Eddie. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's the it's the Joe Biden gif of just sh- will you shut mm-hmm. up, man? It's it's that, but for Eddie, like, I mean, Eddie, we make it. There's no secret here that Eddie is one of our least favorite characters yep. in this show. Uh, it's just he doesn't really uh, do much for me. Yeah, and it's a shame because the actor's name is Billy Warlock and I love that name and I love him and I wish he were a better actor and or had a better character. I think one day we should get good old Billy and Warlock on this show. God, I would kill for that. Oh, man. Yep, and then we could just say, "Hey, Will, my man, 
why? Yeah. And then just have him answer. I mean, I think the answer to why uh, is answered by money. <laughs> you want to know why? how I think it's answered? How? With our next scene. Uh, <laughs> and that okay. is a, a candlelit <laughs> dinner. Ooh, fancy, fancy. Sure is. Uh, sure is. And there's huge ass wax candles. Um, yes. These frightened me um because i'm always afraid they will fall over and they will catch fire in yeah. fact in my notes here i i have here one sentence which is insert halloween hair on fire story um <laughs> which i know morgan has heard about a billion times uh but dear podcast listener i bet you have not it's a good story which is a few years ago for halloween uh, i did a costume party uh and we had some people over and uh, my ex had gotten all these candles that were pretty fancy and like a candelabra. And one woman came dressed as uh, Jareth, the Goblin King from uh, Labyrinth. And she sprayed a lot of hairspray, just like a lot, a lot of hairspray. And she was like, oh, this looks really cool. And she leaned over and then her wig caught on fire. And so everyone is just like, huh, wow, the room got a lot brighter. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. Uh, and so my friend Tristan just grabs her wig and just throws, like, grabs her head, grabs the wig, throws on the floor, and just starts stomping out on it. And she's, like, staring. Everyone's like, oh, my God, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, it's not my real hair. And we're like... Yeah, but, like, you were on fire. She's like, not me. It was my hair, my fake hair. We're like, okay, whatever. Um, yeah, I feel like the question there was not, is that your real hair that was just ripped off of your head and stomped on? It was, did you get burned? <laughs> it's like it's like that I think you should leave skit where they have the, like, gorilla remove their toupee. It's like, wow. <laughs> is that your, wow, a gorilla stole my real hair. What? Uh, but we got a picture later of of the, the wig, and it was just all these, like, weird black singes in it. And I was like, that's actually way cooler. Uh, if anything, the fire improved your costume. So maybe yeah. we should all get lit on fire more often. Um, but not in this scene because that would be a bad time. Also because this table was made of glass and I don't know yeah. how it would catch on fire. Um, yeah. but Morgan, what else did they talk about? Well, first they talk about how court bought vintage scuba gear and they all think that's very silly. Mm -hmm. um, very interesting. I'm sure. Oh, yes. Very rousing dinner party mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, and by they, I mean, Craig and Gina and Eddie and Shawnee. Um, but the main thing they talk about is that Eddie is very mad that people think he should see a therapist, despite the fact that he very definitely should, because he just watched his partner die. Mm -hmm. Um, and everyone's like, hey, you know that week that Thorpe said you are going to be taking a mandatory break during you should take a break during it and, like, deal with your mental health and do some self-care and go see a therapist. And he goes, nah, <laughs> I'm fine. I don't want to talk about it because this is the 90s and men aren't allowed to show emotions. I have in my notes, Shawnee poses a re reasonable rhetorical question and Eddie gets upset that he can't answer it. Mm-hmm. It's just, Eddie is just being an absolute dickbag. Um, yeah. 
And but Gina does want to help him. Gina is actually interested in like, oh my yeah. god, Eddie, you're you're my you're basically my my son figure, and we totally made out in your dreams and almost <laughs> fucked that one time. Um, I want to know everything about your weird, crazy dream woman. Um, but he doesn't want to tell her. Yeah, he is a very emotionally stunted man child, and mm-hmm. that does not improve at any point during this episode. It has one um, moment, <laughs> but it's only one moment. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Next up, we go to Court's shop, uh, where it turns out the diving suit has been stolen. Ugh, and Court snooze. is like... Hey, it's a prank, right? And Eddie's like, nah. And then Court's like, fuck, I got my shit stolen. (laughs) (laughs) I have no notes about this. Literally no notes about this plot line because it's pointless. Yes. Yeah. It it very briefly figures in later, but it's very dumb. Uh it yeah, because the the guy who jumps off the pier is wearing the suit from this that he stole yeah but that doesn't have any long running like it doesn't help the the a plot well yes no i agree with you there um but as we've learned you can have many plots in a baywatch episode and not have any of them make sense or mean anything this yeah and this one was exceptionally like boring i don't know every time they go anywhere near the pier i guess uh, after that that time in the like first episode where that guy called someone a dumbbell kid, I've stopped caring about the pier uh, because, you know, we got our Lori in the pilot where she's on the pier. And I was like, wow, so much happens at the pier now. Like every time I go to the pier, it's just boring me. Like the last time was Armored Car. And oh, boy, best to not remember that episode. Yep. Actually, I don't think we ever recorded Armored Car. I just remember watching Cool Cat Saves the Kids. Honestly. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, isn't the scene where Cool Cat <laughs> drives a car the same as the Baywatch episode Armored Car? Uh, because Cool Cat has arms. Well, in the way that Cool Cat is in elementary school and is in no way should be driving a car, in the same way that Hobie is in eighth grade and in no way should at all be uh, allowed near women. True. Speaking of which... This next scene is the best scene of this entire episode. <laughs> yes. And maybe of Baywatch so far, because it is a montage of Hobie and Katie uh, giving Katie's dog, Rocky, a, a good last day on the beach, while the most, like, wild, jazzy, ethereal flute music plays. <laughs> um, it's amazing. And it's just like... For like three minutes while the two of them roll in the surf with Rocky, and it is truly the funniest thing I've ever seen. The best part about it, though, is the part with the with the lifeguard. Yes. Oh my god. So partway through this montage. A lifeguard in one of the lifeguard trucks rolls up and looks at the two of them and the dog and kind of over dramatically shakes his head like no and points to a sign that says no dogs on the beach. And then the dog lays down on its back, covers both of its eyes with its paws and goes 
And then the lifeguard just like gives this big, dramatic, goofy shrug and points at the sign again and then drives off. And it is it's I can't I can't describe how absurd this scene is. It's so cute, but it's also the weirdest thing. Like somehow in an episode that feels like it should be like a X-Files adjacent episode. This is the weirdest part. Yes, it it feels like a parody of Baywatch. Like all of it is so over exaggerated and goofy that I'm like, this is someone making a parody of bad soap operas. Yes. And I love it. (laughs) I love it. Love it. Love it. But then we lead into uh, somehow a horrible scene, uh, Mm -hmm. which is with uh, Katie and Hobie talking. And Katie Mm -hmm. asks, asks Hobie, have you ever had a dog? And Hobie, just because, you know, he's an emotional gold mine, says, yeah, his name was Cookie, but he got old and he died. Um, <laughs> but what the fuck, Hobie? And Katie, yeah. just, you know, hearing this and emotionally reacting in a way that is mature, says, I think I'd die without Rocky. Um, so, uh, of course, you know, Rocky's going to have some potentially some things happen to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also explained that the reason he bit the landlord because the landlord is mean. Uh, yeah. And that just makes perfect sense. But the most important part of this scene, and I don't know if you noticed this small point, is that they're dating. What? Exactly. So they get up and they're holding hands as they walk away. True. True. Which, of course, means that they're dating. Because mm-hmm. before Facebook, that was the only way you could tell people <laughs> that you're dating is the handhold. Like mm-hmm. you could sleep with another person and they'd be like, I don't know. And you could kiss another person and be like, <laughs> I don't know. But holding hands, man. Oh, wow. That's the icky shit right there. And they yeah. they are doing the icky <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, no. Well, I did a nice the no. nice thing about Facebook is that you could announce your relationship status by poking people instead. I just want to announce our relationship status as doing the icky shit. <laughs> <laughs> no. What have I brought into this world? Oh, God. No. I, I sense the first time you said it, and I'm just going to say this because I don't have a joke, but I know it should be a joke have had the phrase icky pop stuck in my head. Um, I just want to get it out there. I really like that. Do you know my dad My dad dated Iggy Pop's ex-girlfriend? That is a absolutely wild sentence, and we need to interrogate it further. <laughs> so right before college, I was going on a trip to Yellowstone with my dad, and I specifically remember this scene. Uh, this scene, it's my life, so I don't know why I say scene. <laughs> we were walking out of a Red Lion motel, in Missoula, Montana. Um, <laughs> important. Look, you get all the details and you hear a story from me. So yeah. walking out of this Red Lion Motel and my dad brings up this story about a girl he dated once who said that she was a Capricorn and their management material, um, which red flag right there. I'm also nope. a Capricorn, but I and management material so true red flag um and i was like oh that's weird like you know other people you dated yada yada stuff and he was like yeah i did this one girl who uh her ex right before me was iggy pop and i was like excuse me Uh, because this was before he dated my mom 
and he dated my mom in the 80s. So this is probably when Iggy Pop is, you know, it's maybe like 15, 20 years after the Stooges, but he's still cutting and doing drugs on stage. So I look at my dad, a man with a Jufro (laughs) and glasses, who's buff, who's like kind of ripped, but like sure, the Jufro who wit and followed the Grateful Dead, but never smoked weed at these shows. And I'm like, you? Yeah, like, (laughs) you? Like, sorry, like, I know I come from you, but like, you? (laughs) Um, And uh, he was like, yeah. And I was like, so why didn't it work out? He was like, well, uh, because her ex was Iggy Pop. And I was like, that's fair. (laughs) That's exceptionally fair. Yeah. It turns out, it turns out he was just an Iggy dad, not an Iggy Pop. Morgan, I fucking hate you. <laughs> wow. Uh, I I hate that joke. <laughs> oh, God. I That might be the most proud I've been of a joke I've made on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you should not be. <laughs> oh, God. But you know, you know what I do hate, Michael? <sighs> Is it psychology? This next scene... Mm. Um, <laughs> because it is Eddie at therapy and he is real mad about it. And the therapist is very bad at her job mm-hmm. um, because he keeps being like, hey, this is really intense for me to talk about. And then he accidentally calls Kirby Lonnie. And she's like, who is Lonnie? And he goes, I don't want to talk about it. And she's like, you have to tell me about it right now or we can't keep doing this. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. She's like, there is literally only one thing that matters for the rest of this encounter. And that is that you tell me about Lonnie. And he's like, fine, then I'm leaving. Um, And then he doesn't get the help he needs. because he specifically tells her to go to hell. Yeah. Which is worse. (laughs) Yes, it's it's a bad scene. Um, just not good. Um, it, you know, just from this scene, I was like, there's a lot of complicated thoughts there. I'm going to try to dumb down into one sentence, which is, sure. is this what therapy was like in 1990? <laughs> right. I kind of was wondering that as well. I was like, is she really bad at her job or has therapy just come a long way in the last 30 years? Which I mean, would make sense, I suppose. But like, Wow. Like, if I were in Eddie's position, I also would not be, like, especially receptive to sharing painful memories about someone who we later find out is his sister drowning. Whoa, 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 whoa. Spoilers, <laughs> please. I haven't, I, you know, I haven't had the full Baywatch experience yet. It's true. It's true. Uh, you know, Lonnie? Who is Lonnie? Uh, I know. Yeah. Well, we I'll- do... We do get like three flashbacks during this scene of brief shots of her drowning. Um, I as we need that in a 45 second scene. I can't handle subtlety. OK, so like yeah. I need it. I need yeah. it just fed into my <laughs> eyes um, over and over and mm-hmm. over. Well, thankfully, Michael, I've got the show for you. It's a show called Baywatch. Mm, uh, yay. And there's this great podcast called Baywatch Rookie School. Um <laughs> Wow, um, I've never felt so unwelcome on my own podcast. 
I'm just trying to give you the authentic experience of how Eddie felt during that therapy session. Uh, really let you emotionally connect with the work, you know? Cheap, uh, <laughs> und- not listened to, underrepresented, uh, and probably a, a waste. Mm-hmm. Nice. I could I could live with that. <laughs> um no, I'm just kidding. I love you. Um Oh, I didn't think you were talking about me. I thought you were talking about the podcast. How dare you? <laughs> you suck. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I can be talking about both. Um That's that's fair. I only I only uh work on things that also uh mirror my character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what else mirrors the character of this episode? Uh, Gina and Craig <laughs> drift shopping scary. and finding a painting of the woman in the water. Wow. There's not a whole lot else to this scene, but they do mirror the shots we've seen earlier by showing them in a painting. Wow, how unduplicitous. I don't even think I used duplicitous right, but whatever. I don't think you did. <laughs> no, I was I was going for something else, and I lost it, and the first word that came up was duplicitous, and I was like, yeah, it probably ain't right, but let's go for it anyways, because I want to yep. sound cool and hot and intelligent. Um, <laughs> this ain't right, but I'm just going to go for it, is the unofficial motto of podcasts everywhere. Yeah, that's, um. <laughs> that's fair. Do I know what's, what's, what's hot and intelligent? But also just ain't right. Absolutely. Jill's one appearance in this episode. <laughs> That's true. Court and Jill show up here uh, to go rescue someone who dove off the side of the pier. Uh, and it turns out that this group of teenagers stole the vintage diving suit from Court's shop. Um, and the kid who stole the diving suit is stuck in a net. Down at mm-hmm. the bottom of the pier. I care um, so much. Just so, so much. Oh, yeah. It's uh, definitely an exciting scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you have such memorable lines as, don't stop pumping. And Court <laughs> uh, and Jill try and free this guy. Uh, but his suit gets a puncture from the nails that are on the bottom of the beach. And then his suit <laughs> fills up with water. And it just feels very dumb. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Were they just like, yo, we went to this pawn shop and we found this old diver suit. Yo, I make a water show. You want to put this in there? Like, yeah. it's like a water sports show. And I'm like, no, 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 not water sports, <laughs> just water show. And they're like, oh, like Shamu? It's like, no, 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 not like water animal show, like water show. <laughs> and they're like, like Watergate? And it's like, no, 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 uh, not not political, hot water, water show. Uh, and they're like, oh, like Baywatch. And they're like, yeah, that show that hasn't aired yet? Yeah, I'm making that one. Yeah, lots of lots of water themes in this episode, which is, I mean, really just shocking for a show like Baywatch that just has nothing to do with the ocean. Well, as we um, know from main character, Officer Garner Ellerby, this show is about cement. True. This is very true. Yeah, and tuna. <laughs> that will come back later. Sure will. Yeah, that scene ends with a very, like, abrupt cut, just as they're noticing that his suit is filling up with water, and it it was such a weirdly timed commercial break. Um, 
But don't worry, because that commercial break was done for the very important pacing reason of having Mitch show up and ask what's going on before we <laughs> cut back to the scene. <laughs> um, Jill and Court keep trying to free the guy, and eventually they do, but in the process, the suit is ruined, and so... Then some EMTs are taking care of this guy's second drowning, and Mitch makes fun of Court for caring about the diving suit, which is a weird energy to bring. Nice nice usage of the second drowning there. I, I can tell Thank we're you. learning a lot from this show. Oh, yeah. About drowning. <laughs> Just the only thing we've learned is drowning and the word can. <laughs> Here I thought that, you know, can was just a band that yeah. release seminal experimental album Tagomago back in the 60s, you know, when it was fronted by Daisuke Sakamoto. Of uh, course. But uh, instead I learned it's actually plastic. <laughs> yep. <laughs> End yeah, of no, joke. I mean, <laughs> that's clearly where everyone's mind first goes. So really I'm just glad we could be such a such an educational you know, production on the level of, of PBS. Tago Mago is a famous album, actually. So it's like, you know, that one's not as much of a stretch. <laughs> I mean, it, I, there's, there's a certain age group that will automatically think of that. And there's like a certain crowd of people who listen to music will think of that. Now, granted, it's not as famous as plastic. End of joke. Yeah, I, I, I believe you that it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, moving on. <laughs> uh, now we go to uh, Craig, Gina, and Eddie, where they have brought home their Lady in the Water painting. Um, and Craig refuses to take this painting seriously, and Eddie is mad about it. Um, and the painting was set at the same location where Kirby drowned, but there's a lighthouse in the painting, and also Ooh. it's from 1923. Ooh. And there's no lighthouse there right now. Oh, no. Also, it's impressive that they have a Lady in the Water painting, considering that movie doesn't come out for 14 years. Mm-hmm. Is, that, uh, um, is, that, is that Shyamalan? Yes, it is. Oh, Shyamalan. Yeah, it is technically a movie. Um, <laughs> I've, I, I've only seen... The Happening and The Avatar really? movie. That is a weird selection of Shyamalan movies to have seen. Okay, well, The Happening is because it's, like, really famously bad. Sure. Um, and The Avatar movie was because, you know, I'm a nerd and I went to see it with a friend. Uh, sure. But we also heckled it, it. So I almost got kicked out of it. Oh, uh, wow. We heckled it in the theater. Everybody was heckling it, like, in the theater. Uh, but my friend and I... Uh, we're sitting in front of like a mom and her kid. And at one point, okay, so we were, we were like 14. Okay. So that's, or like 17 or something like that was my excuse. Okay. Sure. So there's a part where uh, you haven't seen Avatar. So I'll just explain it really briefly. Like uh, there's a character who's like, you know, like a water kingdom and there's the, uh, the full moon and something is going to happen when the full moon rises. Um, and Full they make some like comment. Nice. Sorry. Uh, continue. Uh, they make some comment, and there's like 
uh, our first joke we thought of was like, man, I'd like to see her title shifts. Um, oh, God. <laughs> and this girl behind us goes, Mom, what are they talking about? And so we just all of a sudden, like, really afraid, turn around. And we're like, oh, like Uh-oh. staring at the mom. Uh oh. Uh, <laughs> staring at the mom. Like, don't make us explain this. Don't make. We're just we're just teenagers and we're stupid. I'm I'm so sorry. Uh and that was when I learned to become mature. <laughs> wow, I think that might be the only positive thing I've ever heard associated with that movie. <laughs> it's really bad. Especially if you've seen the show, it's really bad. Yeah. No, I mean, from everything I've heard, it sounds uh, unwatchable. It's watchable, but it's racist. Yeah. Yeah, because they like... They whitewashed all the characters and also mispronounce all the names, right? So they two parts. One, they whitewash all the characters minus one. So they have the bad guys all be Indian. Of course. Except for one who's good and he is white. Is that uh, Zuko? No. Zuko is well, uh, Zuko is good eventually. But he is played by Dev Patel. His okay. uncle is white, and Uncle Iroh is a good guy in the oh. show. So he right. he is played by a white dude. Now the main character they got was I think uh, part Japanese, and he was like, "I insist that we change the pronunciation of the main character's name." And M Night Shyamalan oh. was like, "I accept that because <laughs> it's Ang." And he was like, yeah. uh-uh, uh-uh. I think it should be Ong, because I want to put more Japanese pronunciation on it. And he's like, you know, I don't respect the source material. Why the fuck not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I say this as someone who actually does, in general, enjoy Shyamalan's work. Um, he should never have been given that movie. Why the fuck was he given that movie? It's so clearly not in his, like wheelhouse that it's such a dumb decision this to me to give a more recent example that'd be like uh ben off and weiss making game of thrones and be like i think it should be nad stark <laughs> just like talk about nad all the time yeah like wait what like no his name is ned is like not in my germanic pronunciation it's not it's nad mm-hmm. and it's like you can't do that there's source material dude it's like i run this show fuck you yeah but I mean, remember, we we can't disrespect Benioff and Weiss because as as they've told us, they learned how to make TV on the set of Game of Thrones. So really, I mean, they were clearly just the most qualified people to have directed Game of Thrones. And I'm definitely not mad about that. Um, I mean, there there is sexploitation scenes in that show more worthy of directing than two actual humans. <laughs> you want to know what else could direct better than Benioff and Weiss? Rocky the dog? Uh, I was going to say a tuna sandwich. (laughs) Because. Honestly, either of those. Katie comes by to see Hobie and he's making tuna sandwiches. Take us in, Morgan. Sure is. Yeah, Hobie's Hobie's making himself a sandwich when Katie shows up. And it turns out that her parents are about to put Rocky down that night because they can't find anyone to adopt this comrade dog who's <laughs> carrying out the important work of biting landlords. 
uh, and Katie doesn't want to be there to watch. Um, so she shows up to Hobie's place, and Hobie is like, sure, you can stay here tonight, but let me call Mitch real quick. And Katie says, wait, no, you can't do that. You said you'd be my friend, and that is a big old fucking yikes from yep. dog. Also, I thought you were dating. Yeah, it's very weird. It's very bad. Everybody is immature in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, um, if if a friend and or partner uh, is like, hey, you shouldn't tell someone what's going on because I thought we were friends. It means you should absolutely tell someone what is going on. Just a general life advice. It's less of a partner and more of a like an Old West partner, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, hey, they're a partner. Uh, that's more what it's like here, because just like back in the Old West, they will shoot you in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we've got Eddie, who is running on the beach and finds the place where the lady in the water painting was painted um, and looks up to the top of the point and sees the woman in white. But then he runs up to the top and she's not there. But what is there is the same flashback of Lonnie drowning that we saw earlier during the therapist scene. Mm-hmm. After that, we get Craig going through some records, trying to figure out if that point ever had a lighthouse. And Mitch shows up and very conveniently explains the plot to Craig and tells him that, in fact, there was a lighthouse there and that it burned down the same year as the painting was made. Ooh. Spooky. Sure, why not? Exactly. That's sure, why not sums up how I feel about most of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, Eddie and Shawnee are in a thrift market. And now Shawnee has seen the painting, too, which is Treated as important by the show, but no one cares. Um, and then Eddie is like, I don't think we should see each other right now. And Shawnee's like, but I want to. And then Eddie's like, goodbye, I'm leaving. It, that was the one moment where I was like, is sort of same mature for Eddie, but uh, not that I, much. I guess it would it would feel emotionally mature if, if it weren't Eddie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we cut to back to the house. Mitch's house, the house of lords, and Hobie is with Katie in his room. And firstly, they're laughing over Mad Magazine. How funny. Um, Mm -hmm. Mitch comes by. And first we get to see Hobie's giant ass Magic Johnson poster, (laughs) which this is February 1990. Magic Johnson would announce his HIV diagnosis nine months later, which I thought was really interesting. Um, because, wow, that would open up so much discussion about HIV that was not being discussed earlier in 1990, because now someone famous has it and is talking about it. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, They won't address this at all, whatever. Um, But funny shenanigans ensue where, and that's sarcasm, uh, where Hobie opens up the door for Mitch and he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm uh, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And then the world's faintest, absolutely faintest noise of all time. It's a, like a very, very quiet dog whimper that no one really mastered that that audio correctly. So it just kind of like you have to, like, look at the subtitle to know that it happens. Mm-hmm. Um 
Mitch hears this, though, like a fucking hawk. And he thinks <laughs> something is afoot. Um, but Hobie ensures him that he is practicing dog noises. And Mitch <laughs> confirms later in the episode that he has suspicions that Hobie is lying, but isn't sure because he's a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. I love Hobie's attempts at the end of this scene uh, to mimic the dog noises <laughs> that were made. And yeah. Mitch is not buying it. Now, this scene continues. Uh, mm-hmm. Mitch says Katie's mom called and uh, she never came home from school. The police are looking for her. Um, and, you know, that's very worrisome. And Hobie just being immature is like, you know, should we have a dog? We should have a dog again. Um, and this goes into some back and forth conversation. But the most important part of this is yet again, Mitch improperly cites uh, either historical or literary figure uh, where he says it's a house rule where you don't make me look like a Simon Legree. Uh, do you know who Simon Legree is? Okay, so yeah, my note for this scene is that is a wild fucking analogy. Um, yes. Because it is way fucking overblown for what it is. <laughs> yes. So for people who don't know, being a Simon Legree means you're basically being like... Eh. Oh, like overbearing boss, ex- demanding excessive work from people because it comes from the book Uncle Tom. Oh, yeah, because it comes from the book Uncle Tom's Cabin, and the character Simon Legree is this like overbearing, greedy slave owner. Um, so that's where the term come from comes mm-hmm. from. Uh, it makes no sense at all in this context. Um, I don't know why he chose to use that here. I know. So the the full line there. To be clear, which I think is amazing, is house rule. We don't lay guilt trips on each other. You don't make me feel like Simon Legree, and I don't remind you who fed the dog we did have, which is a just like fucking wild line. Like I there cannot are, there unpack are 20, all of that. Thousand things in there. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the Twitter meme of like uh, there's a whole lot to unpack, but instead let's just throw away the whole suitcase. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you this. <laughs> I can just tell you, I can tell you one from the writing of the episode. Uh, well, yeah, let's go with the writing of the episode that uh, Claire Whitaker is probably white. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's the only time I foresee someone knowing who Simon Legree is, knowing the term being a Simon Legree, yet also conceptually not understanding the term being a Simon Legree. Yeah, it is It is an absolutely wild thing for a father to say to his son about his son asking if they can get a dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, yeah. 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 Anyway, um... <laughs> This this fucking scene right here. Anyway, um, yeah. Next up is uh, Craig and Gina are going on a little road trip so they can Ooh. go to the house of the person who painted the lady in the water. Don't um, don't don't get hung up on how confusing this part is. <laughs> yes, it is a truly wild scene, and by wild I mean useless and dumb. Um, and they show up to the house, and it turns out that the artist himself is dead, 
but his son still lives there and gives them an enormous exposition dump in a very stilted tone. Um, and it's so bad. The whole plot is just straight out of a soap opera. Well, OK, so one, this is a soap opera, basically. But two, well, yeah, uh, uh, the actor who plays this character, I did some research on him that I didn't really want to introduce at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, his kind of thing in the 90s and late 80s was he was just the standing guy whenever they needed a Hispanic person who speaks English. And that's what they gave him. I believe that. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, this is Escudero. And Escudero is just going to tell us everything about the plot. Yeah. I, the main parts you need to know is the the woman who's in the nightgown. Her name was Melora. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she, she jumped off of a cliff after a fire. But uh, she also had a daughter who survived. And that's all you really need to know. Yep. But his his delivery all throughout the scene is there was a woman in the tower and her name was Malora. And it's like, <laughs> ooh, my dude, why did you get so many roles? Because I get that you were just the token Hispanic person that Hollywood kept turning to, but like, man. It was such it was such bad acting in this entire scene. And not just from him, from Craig and Gina as well. Like <laughs> Yeah. You wanna you wanna know what else is bad acting, Morgan? The rest of this episode. <laughs> but you wanna know what else specifically? What? Eddie is punching the speed bag while thinking of Melora. <laughs> yep. I my next note literally says, and Eddie punches the speed bag. <laughs> <laughs> Which now you know that it's a speed bag. Yeah. Yeah. We have learned so much. These are all the important things I've learned from doing this podcast with you. Uh, well, I'm glad I can enrich your life in a way that is fully practical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just so many things that we'll take away from this in five years once we're, you know, dead. Oh, yeah. Because Carl Rove drove us underwater. <laughs> well, listen, everyone knows the really hot career path these days is becoming an interior designer for boxing gyms. So, like, really, these are practical life skills that you're teaching me. You say that, but I know someone who opened a boxing gym. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, you know, he probably would appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine imagine you walk into a boxing gym, and you know your normal boxing gym is just like gym walls and some mirrors, mm-hmm. um, and then you walk into this boxing gym, and they're just like, "Holy shit, is that a Rembrandt?" <laughs> and it's like, "Is that Hieronymus Bosch?" Wow, do you have just? Is this a museum? And he's like, "I like to think of my place as trendy." Also. Here, would you like some freshly made coffee? And it's like, wow, is this a cafe too? <laughs> like, it, yeah. You know what else we got? You know what else we got? We also got Mario Kart sixty four. <laughs> like, wow, can I can I skip all of the boxing and play Mario Kart sixty four? And that's when he takes all your money. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I do now want to go to an avant garde. 
uh, like surrealist boxing gym. Like I'm just picturing, I'm picturing what if, what if Salvador Dali designed a boxing gym? I don't know what that means, but I do want to go there. If you, if Salvador Dali die, uh, design a boxing gym, I think instead of speed bags, you just be punching like deformed bananas, <laughs> but they're not like fake bananas. They're real bananas. So every yeah. time you punch them, you just like, ugh, is that on my fingers? <laughs> Then Dali comes in and he's just like, did you know I was dead? And you're like, yeah, I kind of did. He's like, but what is, but what is remembered may never truly die. Actually, that's, uh, that's Babe Ruth, not Salvador Dali. Never mind. I always get them confused, you know, just two classic, classic figures of art. Yep. Yep. When I when I think of Salvador Dali, the next person that comes to mind is Babe Ruth. <laughs> you know, just I, every time I would I would meet Dali, I just go, "Yo, Bambino," and he'd be like, no, "That's the other one." I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry, dude." I go up to I go up to uh, I go up to Babe Ruth, and I'd be like, "Yo, Cluck Man," and he'd be like, "That's the other one. I'm the Bambino." <laughs> This is stupid as fuck. This is the dumbest riff we've ever gone on. I actually think it might be. <laughs> oh, God. Um, let's get this episode back on track. I say as if this episode makes any fucking sense. It doesn't. Um, no, it doesn't. Um, next, we have the resolution of Rocky's plot line, which is that Mickey... Mickey, Jesus, uh, Mitch <laughs> goes into Hobie's room and sees Katie and Rocky sleeping in Hobie's bed. And Mitch gives all of them a whole lecture about how you shouldn't lie. And then Hobie's like, what if I feed this dog? Can we keep it? And Mitch says, OK, we sure can. But wow, you got to call your parents, Katie. Yeah, OK. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad we had all of that. Yep, this was definitely a plot line that I cared about. Um, I mean, I did a little bit because the dog was really cute. I was, um, especially with that whole scene earlier with the lifeguard and the jazz music. That was really cute. It was very good. Um, but now, now we get another really good music scene, which is that Eddie is racked with visions while Breaking Point by Moody Blues plays. And it is some truly trippy 60s shit. Like, there's a there's a sample during it that I'm pretty sure is literally just the ree, ree from Psycho. Uh, <laughs> nice. And I kind of loved it. Um, I, I, what I like most about the scene is Eddie sleeps shirtless in his sad bedroom that he's clearly <laughs> never had sex in <laughs> while thinking yeah. of Melora and Lonnie. Um, yep. I get an original song here. Really? Yes. Uh, this is a song, and I hate the name of this song. <laughs> Mind you, I'm going to read you the song title, and I want you to remember that this is two words. Okay. This is two words. Where is this going? It's called Lost Ever Since. How is that two <laughs> words? What? Ever two? since is one word. Huh. Is it, though? Because uh, I don't it, think it is. In the official video on the Baywatcher Mastered HD website, it is listed as two words. Lost, 
And then ever since. Um, I mean, I guess if ever long can be one word, then ever since can be two. Why really, not? Really, this is just an homage to the Foo Fighters. You say that, but let's go oh, deeper God. into that. Please don't tell me this is actually an homage to the Foo Fighters. This song is by J.R. Richards. J.R. Richards was the original singer of a famous grunge band called Dishwalla. Um, okay. Dishwalla scored, uh, the most famous is they, they scored a hit that hit number 15 on the Billboard Hot 100 back in 1996 called Counting Blues Cars. Um, and yeah, they were just a grunge band and they 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 were like one of the B-tier grunge bands, but okay. they were famous so uh, closer to foo fighters than i was expecting when i made that dumb joke exactly that's what <laughs> made me so happy this song however is an organ ballad um huh and i should a- add that jr richards the original writer and singer for dishwalla broke off from dishwalla because and i quote i wanted to do more charity huh. um <laughs> so he founded a huh. bunch of charities Specifically, I think it was dealing with like Venezuela. Uh, it was just like I really want to feed the people of Venezuela, and I'm like, okay, sounds great to me. Sure. Um, but this song, this song would unfeed a million people in Venezuela. That's how bad this is. Um, and I have the lyrics here for you. Um, Ooh, yes. You're all alone, an angel lost in time to keep you safe. Oh, how I've tried. And now you're on your own. Lost ever since. One word. (laughs) To the wind. To the shore. I see you fade into the sea. Into the shore. You're all alone. This angel, she wants to fly. But this world keeps all its ghosts in line. So you're falling alone. (laughs) Lost ever since. Yeah, Morgan? (laughs) I I mean... The the line "This world keeps all its ghosts in line" just <laughs> just does a lot for me. <laughs> and now I'm falling fast. Well, you made a believer in me in a world that's such a mess, and I have never felt <laughs> an angel so close to me. No, this beautiful ghost. Now I see, and I'll be lost ever since. Uh, yeah, so that's a bad song. Yeah. <laughs> Those are really bad lyrics. And it's all organ ballad. Uh, oh and God. it feels like listening to this song is like Creed had an aneurysm. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> look, I, I, I don't hate Creed. Everybody hates Creed. But, like, you listen to... Uh, sure. Uh, my own prison, and you're just like my own prison, my own prison, and you're like, well, that's, I mean, that's kind of cool, uh, <laughs> but this, oh man, oh man, it's like, it's like Dave Grohl really, really needed a payday, and but he wasn't really willing to like try because he was just like, look, I, I'm Dave Grohl, they'll fucking give me money, so he's just like, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll just pull something out of out of my pocket here and. Lost ever since. I hate that song title so yeah. much. Um, anyways, in this scene, we just see lots and lots of flashbacks of Lonnie drowning. Um, yep. Because what we needed was more trauma. Oh yeah, yeah. This. Uh, yeah, this episode. Um, we're thankfully we're almost done with it though. 
Um, what happens next is that the news has a story about how there's a lunar eclipse happening tonight. Um, so Shawnee calls up Eddie to tell him that, hey, the weird moon in the painting was a lunar eclipse. Um, but Eddie isn't there. So the phone ringing wakes up Craig and Gina, who are very mad about that. Um, and then because there was a lunar eclipse in the painting and it's a lunar eclipse now, everyone instantly believes everything Eddie's said during this episode. Well, more and more than that. It's the painter. There's only like six minutes left in the episode. But but <laughs> to add to that, the painter died in the eclipse. This is true. And yeah. therefore, when one person dies, another person must die the same way. Yeah. Like That's, think about uh, think think about this. Think about this. Think about this. What if mm-hmm. what if tomorrow mm-hmm. you know I were to decide to leave my house mm-hmm. and uh all of a sudden um an elephant falls from the sky just like some sort of JRPG summon move, you know, just falls on me from the sky while someone just shouts in Japanese whatever the word for elephant is. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, since you are my co-host on this podcast, you will die in the same exact way. True. Right? Uh, that's just how this works. Uh, now, if you were to say die from, oh, I don't know, COVID-19... I and Hebu would probably be pretty pissed because, you know, we're supposed to die in the same way because we have some sort of connection. Um, And that's kind of the way that they deal with this. Um, So, of course, Eddie is going to die on this eclipse night. Um, And you know what, Claire Whitaker? I appreciate just how honest you are with with death and with just how life works. And I'm 100% mean this in all sincerity. you have a very clear, fair, and non-warp sense of reality. <laughs> yeah. It was all a lead-up to that minimal payoff. <laughs> like, I had that joke planned, and I was just like, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's aristocrats this. Uh, and it uh, didn't really work. <laughs> Making jokes for minimal payoff is what this entire podcast is about, so you are a yeah. good company. I mean, the point of this podcast is we started a Baywatch podcast as a minimal joke. Yes. <laughs> so that all works. But yeah, now now we get to see that lunar eclipse that's starting tonight, and it looks bad. Um, <laughs> it looks like someone showed a spotlight at the camera and slowly moved a shutter across it. Because uh, it does move back and forth a couple of times. <laughs> Um, Eddie is at the point where everything has gone down and sees the woman in white and chases after her. Um, and Craig and Shawnee show up just as the woman jumps off the point again. And then they see Eddie jump after her. And then my note says, how is this not a Halloween episode? Because holy shit, is this a Halloween episode? Yep. Um... And then Craig and Shawnee go to rescue him um, and then do rescue him. um, And then we confirm that, in fact, Lonnie was his sweater, his sweater. Jesus. (laughs) I Um, hope. (laughs) 
Lonnie was his sister who drowned in a pool, um, and Eddie blames himself for her death because he couldn't even swim. And I'm so glad that we understand Eddie's tragic backstory now, because we definitely care. You want to know something really, really important, Morgan? Absolutely. I have it on good authority that she has never brought up ever again in this show. Yeah, I believe that. Um, because she <laughs> is barely brought up in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we cut to the next day where the daughter of the mother in the lighthouse has washed up on shore dead. And Eddie finds the group of people who are trying to check if she's dead. Um, and Mitch spends a whole bunch of time being like, this definitely wasn't supernatural. Like it's- It was the woman from the asylum from the beginning of the episode. I told y'all to remember it. Yeah. Uh, and this is fucking pointless. Um, yeah. And I want an angry rant about the scene because, Please. okay, it's a few things. One, apparently her mother's soul inhabited her body and made her young. That's, sure. uh, that's what they imply. Two, uh, they try to wrap everything up, but for Kirby, all they can really say is just, mm, he got careless. Uh, okay, so it wasn't like a siren thing. It was just like the dude was just bad at swimming and he drowned. Like, like what? Oh, okay, okay. Uh, what about the foghorn? Remember the foghorn, Morgan? The foghorn? Yeah. You remember the foghorn? It doesn't fucking matter. Maybe it was a boat. <laughs> no answer. They're just like, yep. yeah, Eddie, uh, I think it may have been like a tanker. And Eddie's like, huh, okay. What? Why introduce this? Yeah. Why? Yeah, that's how I why? feel about a lot of this episode is, why did why? you bother? This makes me think of when I was studying for my bar mitzvah, I asked the guy who was teaching me, could you describe to me the Kabbalah and like just a few sentences? And he's like, beyond the fact that that is impossible, I will try. <laughs> uh, and he says, here's like a basic question from the Kabbalah. Dave is walking in the forest with Julie. And they hear a wolf. Where is Greg? <laughs> That's the Kabbalah. And I was like, that made no sense. And he was like, yeah. I'm telling you, dude, this is my job and it makes no sense. <laughs> Uh, and that's what watching Baywatch feels like. Sure. This is my job, sort of, and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Thankfully, we only have one more scene before we can exit this insanity, um, which is not a less wild scene, um, which is that Shawnee and Eddie are at that same point. It's like DeVies, De- De- DeVos, DeVias. DeVargas. DeVargas, yeah, point. Um, and Eddie's throwing roses into the water in honor of that woman and also Lonnie. Um, (laughs) and also Kirby and also Kirby (laughs) who we forgot about. Yeah. The, the episode completely forgets about him. I don't think he's even mentioned in this final scene. Oh no, he is. Oh, okay. I stopped paying attention by this point because I hated this episode. Um, but yeah, um, Shawnee is like, hey, I've missed you these past couple days, Eddie. And he's like, well, Shawnee, I love you. And then they drop the rest of the roses and go for a walk on the beach because uh, a relationship is more important than honoring the dead. Um, but then, then, Michael, then, then we get the spookiest part of this entire episode. Ooh. Ooh. 
which is that one of the roses washes up on the beach and it's got the same ribbon that the lady in the water had tied around her head on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that sounds underwhelming, listeners, it's because it fucking was. <laughs> this episode... Yeah. 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 Morgan, on a scale of one to ten, mm-hmm. with one being you're walking on a beach and you're walking through the mud and there's all these little prickly, prickly things like, uh, you know, twigs and some rocks and maybe like, uh, I don't know, some skizzers uh, <laughs> or maybe like a dead body who's maybe the go- a ghost. Who knows? Uh, that's a one and a ten is sniffing Mitch's abs. Where would you rate this? So I'm actually I'm actually going to get a little controversial on this rating here. And that is to say, from everything I've said about this episode, you would expect a fairly low rating. Um, but I actually thought this episode was really fun in a just like dumb nonsense mm-hmm. kind of way. So I'm going to give this episode actually a 6.5. And I am going to call a 6.5 the sensation of stealing a vintage diving suit and going for a fun dive. But in the middle there, you're pretty sure you might die. Nice. How about you, Michael? That's an interesting, interesting rating. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give this episode a three. Okay. Uh, And I would rate a three as picture this with me now, would you, for a moment? Of course. Listen to the sounds of my voice as I lull you into a false false pretense that's not Mm -hmm. what i meant to say but whatever we're gonna go with it everyone's used to that by now from me Mm -hmm. anyways imagine you're a hipster music nerd Mm -hmm. all right you own you own a record player you know sometimes you get some vinyl records and sure put one on and you think you know maybe i want to listen to this and you know of course since you're a you're you're a Music nerd, of course, you own three Sufjan Stevens albums. I mean, we um, both live in Seattle. No need to even state it. No, of course. And I mean, those albums would obviously be Illinois, um, Michigan, and Carrie and Lowell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not the age of ads, because um, hipsters don't like electronic music. Um, so they don't like that one. Uh, but then they're thinking of purchasing Sufjan Stevens' new album, The Ascension, even though it sucks ass. Uh, <laughs> now, what happens is... You think, I need a new record for my collection. And you go to the record store. And I imagine this is pre-COVID. You go to the record store and you go, yo, record keep. Uh, because that's what they call them there. They're not a barkeep. They keep records and they serve you the records. So you go, yo, record keep. What's something new, kind of hard that you can give me? And they will light a fire in me. And he goes, I have something for you. You know. What is it? He goes, I have a new record. It's called Raw Power, and it's by the Stooges. Ooh. And you go, wow, is that Iggy Pop in the Stooges? And he goes, yeah, yeah, it is. So you buy it, and you take it home, and you put it in your record player. Instead of hearing just absolute raw power, it's the sound of someone literally shitting, okay? <laughs> because this is a fucking three, and it sucks. It's not the worst thing you've ever heard, but it's pretty damn fucking shitty. And that's what this episode is. Yeah, it turns out, actually, the album you bought was uh, Raw Pooper by Iggy Daddy. <laughs> 
it's uh, the sister album to Tokyo Anal Dynamite. If you <laughs> remember that reference from an episode or two ago. Something um, like that. <laughs> now, Morgan, we have something very exciting. We sure do. That is, the next episode is a long-awaited episode that we've been mm, talking about since mm. the beginning, and that is Shark Derby. Oh, yes. Uh, Shark Derby is the highest-rated episode of Baywatch. Yeah. Um, it is one of the most famous episodes of Baywatch. Uh, and I don't want to spoil too much of what happens. Um, mm-hmm. Because of that, I am not going to read you the the Baywatch wiki description, which absolutely spoils everything Perfect. about this episode. The INDB one, I'll read you a very, very small part of it. Um, because most of it does get spoiled. Um, so what happens is after a couple of sharks are seen in the bay and just off the beach, Mitch becomes even more concerned when the greedy owner of a restaurant sponsors a shark derby to help promote the restaurant with a prize of $25,000 to the one who kills the biggest shark. Um, and that's all I'm really going to tell you about it. Okay. Because um, this, I have a good feeling tomorrow tomorrow the next episode is going to be one of our longer ones yeah um, i think it's going to be a really good episode for us to talk about and as we go on um i think the show is going to be influenced by this episode yeah um and i could say more things to hype it up but i don't want to lie anymore um <laughs> i don't know if it'll actually be influenced by this episode i'm just making that shit up but it is a good episode uh apparently yeah um now i think it's going to be quite a change because uh, that episode is not shit and this one was. So, I mean, that's only my opinion. Who knows? Maybe next episode you'll be like, this is a fucking two. And a two is like, I don't know. Getting eaten by a shark. I was going to say getting the Stooges' second album, Funhouse. Or it was, yeah, their <laughs> second album, Funhouse, but it's a person shitting. And it's like, that album's a little bit like not as good as Raw Power. I mean, it's great, but it's not as good. So it's like bumps it down to a one. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Maybe it'll be like, oh man, like uh, this is like a perfect 10, which is Iggy Pop's solo album, Lust for Life. I mean, who knows? Maybe there'll be more Iggy Pop references. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, anything can happen when you're a lifeguard on the beach, uh, saving people from supernatural things that might not be supernatural. Things that go bump, bump, bump in the night. Mm -hmm. Things that uh, go ethereal flute music, ethereal flute music in the night. Um, Yes. God, such a good clip. So, yeah, I think... I think that about wraps it up for this episode of Baywatch Rookie School. Um, And the only thing that I have left to say is thank you so much for listening to this episode of Baywatch Rookie School. If you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at Rookie School Pod. I'm at Morgan P. Thrap. And I, I am at Snotasnit, which is S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. We will see you next week, assuming you are still around by then and not a ghost. Or pooping your pants or pooping onto an Iggy Pop record. <laughs> And just remember, 
fangs, bats, and capes. There's a uh, there's no spooky version of you. <laughs> oh, there is. <laughs> oh no! Wait! No! Wait! No! Wait! It's uh, it's what's that line from Trolls Two? It's like, oh, they got her, and they're gonna get me. Oh my god! Yeah, that's it. Okay, bye everyone. Goodbye.